0: Be curious about something more bigger than your role. Understand what your role is, but then also figure out how can you drive value throughout the organization. And then just be a lifelong learner and be open to doing work as part of your role that may not necessarily be in your job description, right?
1: You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Marjorie Anderson. Marjorie is the product manager for Community at the Project Management Institute, which is a professional membership association shaping the project management industry. Outside of her nine to five, she's the founder of Community by Association, which is an organization and online community for those who build communities for associations and nonprofits. In this episode, Marjorie and I chat about how to identify and support your community super users, how to measure the business impact of your initiatives, and how to create a community strategy. Shares her career journey in community management and has some great advice for young professionals looking to advance in this industry. Marjorie, welcome to Create Community. I am super excited to chat with you today.
0: Thanks for having me, Marsha. I'm excited to be talking with you.
1: So to dive into the episode, I'm always really curious how community builders actually become community builders. I don't think I've met anybody yet who actually set out like early on in their journey to actually do this type of work. Everybody seems to fall into it in very unique ways. So I want to go back to your early, early days and just learn a little bit about what you were like in high school. If you had any extracurricular curriculars or interests and how you found belonging at such an early age?
0: Yeah, this question, <laughs> I love this question. Um, I I was a weird kid in, <laughs> in school and, you know, not much has changed, but it's, you know, I was, I was kind of an outlier a little bit. I wasn't necessarily shy, but I was very reserved and kind of to myself. It was an old soul to be so young. And I was looking for things that would at least allow me to find a few friends that I could identify with. And in my sophomore year in high school, I found, um, well, there are a couple of things that I found, but the most significant thing that I think was really great was I found Drama Club. And... The friends and the people that I met in drama club just made me feel like I was at home because, you know, it made me feel like, I mean, we were we were weird kids. You know, we we liked to do crazy, silly things and we could all do it standing on a stage and performing. And it was great. And it was such a, you know, non judgmental environment. And we were from all walks of life. And it was just a beautiful coming together of, you know, human beings. Um that really just had the same sort of passion and love for, for theater. That was really great for me to be able to find people who, you know, share the same values, had the same sort of passions, um, and that were just really all around amazing people. Um, so that was something that was really valuable and really special to me. And I also belonged to, um, there was this, this club, I don't know if it was a club, but it was an organization called Youth to Youth. And it was really centered around keeping kids focused so that they weren't, they didn't fall into bad habits, you know, taking drugs, things like that. So, and being able to be around those folks was like being around my drama club friends. They were super sweet. They were from all parts of the world, people from Barbados, people from, you know, anywhere that you could think of and they were just super amazing people. So, it's in those little pockets of places where I found that most of my peers weren't normally gravitating to that I found people who were like me and that were just are very special to me and in my heart to this day even if I don't talk to them all the time, they're just they're very special to me. So those were the types of things that I seem to gravitate toward and, and that really kind of shaped shaped who I am today.
1: That's so nice. I, I love that you still hold those people so dear to you. And yeah, like you don't have to be in touch all the time. Sometimes with those types of friendships, even if you catch up like once in a blue moon or, you know, if you're if you're visiting or, or whatever it may be, it, it kind of feels like you're almost like back to your old self and kind of like transported back to those early, early days. So I think that's so cool. So what did you end up studying in post-secondary? So, so
0: I will preface this by saying that, um, remember, I said that I was a weird kid. And when I was 12, my grandmother asked me what I wanted for Christmas. So I told her I wanted a Smith Corona typewriter and some paper, and that's what she got me. Um, so,
1: um, <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> and so, in when I went to college, I, I went for business administration because I knew that I wanted to be a business lady. When I grew up, I didn't know what that necessarily would translate into, but you know, business administration is all encompassing. So um, when it comes to business, so that's what I that's what I studied, and um, you know, it was I thought that I would go for theater and I would be on Broadway, and then I was like, no. I need to figure out how I'm going to live. That's not something that's promised. So let me let me figure out something that I can really utilize. So that's that's right where my head went. I was business minded from an early age. And <laughs> and that's and I kind of carried through um, when I went to school.
1: That's really great. I can totally relate. I was the same way. I also went into business administration. And I also knew kind of early on in high school that that's the degree that I wanted to do because I just felt like it was going to be really flexible and it would open a lot of doors. Which I I think it has like it was sort of like a I feel like that's a really safe degree that you could do if you're not really sure exactly what you want to do after high school.
0: Yeah, because then it goes into different things. You know, once you have graduated, you're like, OK, I can take this many places.
1: Exactly. So were you able to still kind of do drama after high school? Do you still have time for it to to get involved in any extracurriculars or like clubs or anything like that?
0: Um, for a bit, like when I was in my early 20s, I would still do things like go. To, there was this great place in Ohio where I grew up called Shadowbox Cab- Cabaret. So I used to go there um, and then there was always a contemporary Um, American Theater Company, which was a small theater company in Ohio that I absolutely loved. So I would go and see plays. And every now and then now, I still try to figure out how I can, you know, see a live musical or see live theater in some way, shape or form, because that is such a special piece of who I am and what shaped me that I never, ever want to lose that. Even if I'll never stand on stage again, as long as I'm able to stay connected to, to the theater arts, I think that you know, I'll always
1: feel fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. So, how did you end up starting your career out of your degree? So here's here's the thing: when you get your degree, and people
0: are like, "All you need is your degree," and then once you graduate, you will get a job. So what I ended up doing was I started working in retail because I needed to work, and from there, I moved into a call center and started working in a call center environment. And I worked in a call center for a very long time. And so once I moved from Ohio and moved to, I lived in New York for a little bit and I still worked in a call center there and then found myself here in Pennsylvania working for a uh, Project Management Institute and doing call center work. And I don't not call center work because it's I think it's one of the best places in an organization that you can work. It helps you learn a little bit about a lot and really helps you you become super knowledgeable about the organization that you work for. But I didn't want to do it anymore. I gave this place six months and then I got hired on full time because I started as a temp. And then a couple of years into my career, I ended up working in the community area.
1: That's really awesome. So yeah, let's jump into the Project Management Institute. I think what you're working on there is is really, really exciting. So can you just share a little bit more about um, what is the Project Management Institute? Sure.
0: So Project Management Institute is a not-for-profit membership association shaping the project management profession. They've been around for 51, I think 50. it is, it'll be 52 years this year. And they're one of the oldest institutions dedicated to the profession of project management. And they support project management practitioners by providing membership, providing community, providing certification and other information and resources to help them become more knowledgeable and seasoned at their jobs. So roundabout ways. That is uh, who PMI is.
1: That's really cool. So it sounds like the typical community member, like they, they have a lot in common and, they, you know, they're working on similar challenges. So I'm sure that's something that really unites them. And how many people are part of the community now?
0: So as, uh, for our online community, we have a little over a million registered users. So it's, it's a pretty large community. And the community that we currently have, we acquired back in 2014. We Our community sits on projectmanagement.com. So they had a user base when we acquired them and then it grew as a part of the larger PMI ecosystem.
1: That's super cool. That's, that's massive. That is a lot of people. Can you share a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like and your role?
0: As you know, your day changes day-to-day when you're a community manager, but on a typical day, I usually come in at, well, <laughs> I log in and I, and I, you know, take a look at my email and I respond to requests for, you know, Hey, we would like to talk to you about how we can utilize the community for X. And then I spend my day, um, mostly in meetings, you know, I'm talking to people about ways that we can work together. I am, we're currently going through a community migration. So, um, we're having meetings about that. I'm catching up with my team. And then towards the end of the day, I try to do some administrative things. Like I'm constantly taking a look at our community strategy and seeing where we need to make updates. I'm looking at our metrics. Um, I'm looking at ways that we might be able to continue to connect into the overall goals of the organization. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a generally a day where, you know, my brain is constantly working. And then when I lay down at night, (laughs) I'm like, okay, these are the things I have to do tomorrow, but it. It's... Normally, that's how things go, but it, it mixes up day to day.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that I think that that will sound really familiar to anybody who's listening. So, for the virtual events that you run for the community, what sorts of formats are you running for them? And have you had to like pivot quite a bit through COVID? And just share a little bit more about what that sort of looks like.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, our virtual events, we used to run large virtual events for a year. Within our online community, as part of normal community programming, and we shifted those to our professional development area last year. But you know what those those events usually look like are um, all day conferences where you know project managers or those that interested in project management can come and learn more about the profession from their peers. Last year, we you know really pivoted strongly with those events because we also had to make up for live events. But those are generally are what the virtual events look like. But then we also have webinars that we put on throughout the course of the month. And interestingly enough, those webinars really kicked up when COVID hit. We had we already had a lot of of content submissions coming into our community. We have a mechanism within our community where practitioners are able to submit content ideas and then they're vetted by the community staff. And then if something is approved, then it moves for for production. So we were getting those on a constant basis. We never had a shortage of that, but once COVID hit, we were getting an influx of of those those types of requests for people to share knowledge because sometimes some of them had more time now. Others of them were really just kind of looking to strengthen that that knowledge that they they were able to share. So there are one-hour webinars that we hold. People attend them. Sometimes we max out our webinar room. And and they're they're well received and we we put them on demand for people to watch later if they can't make them live. But yeah, that's that's pretty much the biggest piece of what quote unquote a virtual event looks like for community programming. It's a staple for our community and it's something our community really enjoys.
1: That's really awesome. And what do you do after those webinars are done? Like are you are you finding ways to kind of like foster the connection between the people who attended and keep the conversation going? of forum or group where where they can continue to chat?
0: Yeah. So what we do is once the webinar has taken place, it goes on demand. And then in the videos on demand section of the community, when you click on that video underneath it, you can add comments. So people can still comment on the content, the presenter, because they are the quote unquote, author of the content gets a ping every time someone comments on that piece of content on that webinar. So if they're not able to chat in the chat as part of the live webinar, they can certainly keep the conversation going in the comment section after it's posted on demand.
1: And I think something that's really unique with your community is that you have a really cool ambassador program. And I think that's so important for companies to really just like identify who their super users are, like the most active community members and really find ways to support them and to empower them. Can you share a little bit about how this happens at the Project Management Institute and how this program was built?
0: So a few years ago, we had been toying around with the idea of creating some sort of ambassador program to really reward the people who contribute the most to our community and find ways for them to kind of be beacons of light within the community for those who are either new to the community or who aren't new, but, you know, might still need help navigating not just the community, but finding information directly from the organization as well to help them be more successful. So I always put the building of these sort of programs into the hands of my team. They work with these community members on a daily basis. They know the conversations that are happening there. They know the people who are the most active. Um, And so my team, there are a couple of people on my team who built out this program. They did a straw man. They said, let's test and see how we can make this program work. So uh, what they did was they put together this ambassador program on what the goal of this program is. And the the purpose for the ambassadors is really just, again, to be those guiding lights within the community. We started to expand upon their responsibilities. Now they're putting up things like our monthly news you can use. So every month we put up um, a post in the community where we were normally as community staff posting, here's what's going on in the community and things you need to know, or you might want to be aware of. And we've shifted that responsibility to our ambassadors because we we trust them with that. We trust them to be able to to know what's going on in the community and then guide people toward it or or what's happening within the organization that might be of of importance to community members. We also have something called an ask the expert program which we started back in 2015 and with that was normally was a supplement to community connectivity at a live event. So we would invite people who have exhibited expertise within the community to our annual conference and allow people to sign up for time with them to talk about their workplace challenges. And so what that has now also morphed into, um, now that we no longer have live, we're we're not doing live events right now, um, that has morphed into E uh-huh an Ask Me Anything sort of monthly or quarterly webinar where we get these experts together about a certain topic. And then we have a webinar where people can come. So if it's construction, if it's agile, if it's healthcare, we'll get an expert from the community, put them in this webinar and then have it open, let people come and ask questions. So we're still fostering that level of connectivity. So the people who are the most active, who are contributing the most, who have well-received content, And we want to make sure that we continue to support the work that they're doing and and say kind of thank you for being that that knowledge source within the community and helping others out by involving them in these programs so that they feel incentivized to continue to contribute and bring others along with them.
1: I think a lot of people can really learn from that and apply that to their own programs. So thank you so much for sharing that advice. I think something that a lot of community professionals um, definitely struggle with is measuring the success and the business impact of their initiatives. I think a lot of things that we do as community professionals are pretty hard to track, and a lot of them are creating goodwill and you know brand awareness and a lot of great things for, for the company, but they could be a little bit hard to track. How do you track and measure the success and business impact of your initiatives? And have you ever struggled with that as well?
0: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that I like to do when especially if I'm trying to show business impact is if there's ever a time where we collaborate with someone across business lines to deliver an experience or to help with an initiative. The first thing that I do is I show where those connections happened and then the outcome of those connections, whether it be additional membership renewals, whether that be more signups for an event, you know, those are the types of Things that I look for when I'm trying to measure business impact, and I report on those. Um, One of the things that I think is really, really great that we're able to do within our online community is we track membership transactions that started and initiated within the online community. So if someone clicked on a link or button, it took them out to our membership application to either complete a renewal or complete a purchase of a new membership, and they come back to the community to complete that action we're able to track that and we report on that every month and we're able to show these are the number of transactions that result that took place as a result of an action that took place in the community. So anything, anytime that you can show that direct link to community activity is, is absolutely what you should be tracking and how you demonstrate business impact. And then I also, there have been times when we've tried to do things that just did not work and we just stopped doing them. I've always told my team, you know, never be afraid to have the conversation conversation with people around, is this really, is this really driving value for you? Is it driving value for the the members or your customers? If not, let's really think about whether or not community is the right place for this thing that you're trying to do. And then maybe let's brainstorm some ideas about what might be the best thing because community is not always the answer. But when it is, let's figure out how we can certainly drive value. So, you know, I always tell my team, don't be afraid to, to sunset something. If it's not working, it's not working. Let's try something else.
1: That's such a good way of Looking at it, I think a lot of people don't really know where to draw that line. And, you know, they feel like if they like poured their heart into creating some kind of initiative, it's like you almost have to like keep trying until it succeeds. But I think. The key to success is knowing when to quit and when to walk away from something like that, which is clearly not working. That's really awesome that you take that approach. So I want to jump into the organization and community that you founded, which is Community by Association. Can you share a little bit about what Community by Association is and what inspired you to create this?
0: Yeah, so Community by Association is a company that I created to support community builders and associates. Associations and nonprofits. There's a huge gap there that I think needs to be filled. And it can't be filled by just simply saying, oh, you need these metrics or you need to do, you know, this thing. I just think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding around what, what community means in these spaces and how how to go about building it for lasting value. The reason that I created a community by association was back in 2013, when I first came to community, I was looking for all sorts of things that could help me really figure out my job because I had never belonged to community in the sense that I was getting ready to work in this space. I didn't really know what an online community really was. I didn't really participate in those types of spaces. So I went on a mad search to finding information about how community management works and how does it work in association settings. And I found a whole bunch of information about community management from a general standpoint. I did not find a lot of information about how community managers support members, chapters, volunteers within an association setting. And so in 2018, um, after really getting my bearings around what I was doing, in 2018, I started a blog because I was learning things specific to this part of the industry that I wasn't able to find content on. So I just started a blog and started sharing what I was learning. The blog was well-received. And then in 2019, I thought, well, if people like the blog, let me create space for people to come to together and talk about their challenges and, you know, see if this is something that makes sense. So in 2019, I started an online community for for those same folks who are in the same boat as me trying to really figure out how do we best support our associations and nonprofits managing these online communities. And I think the weird thing is in lots of these spaces, there's not a dedicated community manager to do this work. It's someone who has a full-time job already. Maybe they're a membership specialist or a marketing coordinator, or in some cases, they're the VP of communication, but they're now responsible for this online community program. And they're like, okay, sure. Let me just purchase a piece of software and it'll be fine. And that's not the case. So in 2019, I launched the online community. And then last year I really started thinking, how can I continue to deliver value to this audience of people in ways that really make sense? And how can I reach these organization leaders to really help them understand the importance of having a full-time community manager, the importance of having a focused community team, the importance of being able to investing in community in the right ways in order to drive value and to have a sustainable program. So I created an LLC and I turned a blog and an online community into a company and what i really want to do with community by association is a don't want to be a consultant. There are plenty of consultants out there who do great work. I am not that person, but I want to support the people who are. So, um, a couple of things that Community by Association offers is a consultant network for organization leaders who need someone to come in, help them get a lay of the land when it comes to community. So, I've got a couple of people who are part of that consultant network. I am offering a job board. So, it's free to the job seekers and then those who want to post jobs. There's, you know, a small fee. There's still the community. And then as the months go along, there will be some other things that I want to make sure that I am providing that are going to be valuable. I'm looking into doing some research and, and those types of things specific to the association and nonprofit area. But yeah, that's that's really kind of how it's evolved and why it evolved. I think there's a huge a need in the association and nonprofit space. And I hope to be able to provide some help in that area.
1: I think that's phenomenal. And I love the vision for it. And I'm really excited to watch it grow. I, it's really cool that you were able to formalize it and, you know, like register an LLC. But I'm curious, you know, when you first just like realized that there was a need for this and you kind of identified that you have the skills and, you know, you have the ideas to fill that need, what were like the first steps that you took to bring it to life? Because I think a lot of people can get a little bit Overwhelmed with something like that, and just like aren't sure how to even start. Did you just start by like creating a blog, or like what was sort of the first thing that you did?
0: Yeah, so the blog came first. Um, it was just to get ideas out there, and then the online community came. But then when I thought thought about what it could, what community by association could be, I didn't want to build it in a vacuum, so I held user interviews to really figure out if there was a need, right? Like, is it just me? Like, do I just think there's a need? Or do other professionals in these spaces think that there's a need? And what I found was there is because there are specific nuances with associations and nonprofits when it comes to governance, when it comes to things like chapters, when it comes to things like your board of directors. Like how do you engage these people or and support the rest of the organization in these spaces when there are these little nuances um, that you, you can't quite figure out how to navigate? So you know through those user interviews, I was able to understand what the pain points were of practitioners in this space, not just my pain points, and figure out what support looks like for, for the profession in these spaces. And from there, I was able to see see what what I could start to build out that could help make a difference and based off of feedback that I continually um, seek and try to get is how I want to build the way forward for community by association I definitely don't want it to be built in a silo but that feedback was the was the was the basis upon which I started to build what community by association could be
1: that's incredible that's uh, that's such great advice for for how to get started to really not do it in a vacuum and to actually like talk to the people who you're building it for I think that's so key so on top of your full-time role and community by association you're also a content creator and you've had a really cool opportunity to be a correspondent with uh, the get together podcast can you share a little bit about what your role looks like there and what are some things that you've learned through doing this about community or just like anything that really surprised you or stood out to you
0: yeah I just I have to say this has been such a fun experience to be connected to uh, the people at People & Company. Um, So for those who aren't aware, Get Together is a podcast about ordinary people building extraordinary communities. And it's hosted by the People & Company team. So it's Bailey Richardson, Kevin Huen, and Kyle Mersotto. And then there are also other correspondents who are a part of the program. So I share the mic with quite a few really, really brilliant people. And it's a really, really great podcast. And as a correspondent, I get the opportunity to find community builders out there that we may not hear a whole lot about, like Jodi Ann Beckford that you had on Create Community. And we get to talk to them about how they not just you know, the the business side of their community. But how did you find your people? How did you start this community? What was the impetus for your community? What's really driving you to, to keep this going? How do you create leaders within your community? So all of those, I don't want to say squishy, but there are things that maybe they don't always get a chance to talk about because people want to know what metrics are you tracking? How are you, you know, they want to know those types of things, but like the really special pieces, the the glue that holds that community together, what does that look like? And it's such a wonderful way to get inspired and to hear how people are building community in ways that we may not have knowledge of, right? So it's it's just it's been really amazing. And one of the the wonderful things that I've learned through being a, a correspondent on this podcast is that you know a common thread is that if your community doesn't exist, you don't have to have a bunch of resources, you don't have to have all of your ducks in a row, you just have to start. And it doesn't need to be a hundred people. It can be five people. It can be two people. But as long as you start and you really put the effort in to really kind of stoke that flame and keep people coming back and ultimately have that community exist, whether you're a part of it or not. I mean, that's that's really what it's about. You know, it's definitely not about you. It's about the people that you're bringing together. And that's really been something that's kept me centered as I've been a part of that that correspondent program and so honored to be able to talk to some of the people building community in different ways and making impact and, and, and just really inspiring others.
1: I love that. I feel like that's so complementary to what I'm trying to do with create community as well. Like I literally created it because I felt like the word community was sort of becoming this buzzword and, you know, people were kind of a like misdefining it. And then also like content that existed was sort of like around like metrics and just like the nitty gritty of it. But I wanted to really explore the human side of community and really like define what it actually means and, you know, hear all these different people's definitions of it so it's it's been so rewarding for me as well and I just like I I love that there's so much content around it now and it's really cool what you're doing and yeah like I'm so glad you gave a shout out to Jodi Ann that that has been such a touching episode on create community as well just what an inspiring journey and what she's built is just incredible and she's such a humble person and I feel like everybody should know who she is especially in the community building world because she's she's really built some incredible things and then in terms of just Start. Um, we literally have an episode that's titled Just Start. It's, it's <laughs> with Mara Reyes, And I think it's it's episode three or maybe episode five. And that, that was literally like the main takeaway in that episode as well, that, you know, a lot of the time with community, you could really start to get bogged down and overthink things. And, you know, when you have an idea for something and you think that a community should exist and you're not finding it, likely other people are looking for it as well. And it doesn't have to be a massive thing. You just need to take the first step and test if it's even something that's that's gonna work and it's really gonna snowball if it's meant to be. So yeah, really glad that you pointed that out as well. So I wanted to get some of your advice for community creators and and companies. I think something really amazing about your journey is that you've you've really progressed through a bunch of various community roles throughout your career and especially at the company where you are now. And you've been promoted several times. So I just wanted to get some of your advice for any new community professionals who are like just getting started, but who are looking to grow within the industry and, you know, maybe within the company where they are now. What have you found helpful in your journey? I
0: think what I found helpful is I think just being curious about more than your role is super helpful. One of the questions that I asked my boss when she hired me was, and I was an engagement specialist at the time, I wasn't um, in the role that I'm in now. But one of the things that I asked her when I first started in my role was how does community connect to the overall strategy within the organization? And she was like, I can give you some background information about it. But I also want you to go have conversations, which I think was the biggest, the best piece of advice she could have ever given me, because what that did was that helped me understand what business goals individual parts of the organization were trying to reach and how we could help. So I would sit down and I would say, what are your pain points? What are the things that are working really well? And is there anything that community can do to help? And if there wasn't, at least I knew a little bit more about that line of business. But if there was, there were some connection points that I could make. So be curious about something more bigger than your role. Understand what your role is, but then also figure out how can you drive value throughout the organization. And then just be a lifelong learner and be open to doing work as part of your role that may not necessarily be in your job description, right? Like there is no such thing as that's not my job. There's a lot of things that you do as a community builder that may not quote unquote be your job, but the value that you create as part of that work positions you to be a strategic partner at the table with other business lines in the rest of the organization. So I think that's something that's really, really key. If you're having trouble figuring out how to get the ear of an executive or how to get the ear of a senior leader, start positioning yourself as a strategic partner within the organization, working with other parts of the business to drive value, be proactive in your approaches. Don't wait for people to come to you and say, hey, I was thinking that community could be a good fit for this. if you see synergies, act upon them. Don't wait for those opportunities to come to you. And then just listen to your community members. I think that's a key part. Um, one of the things that I still do, even though my role has changed within the team, you know, I'm now managing the team versus managing the community is I still am accessible to community members. I don't I love when they reach out to me. I like being able to talk to them when I get a chance. If they reach out to me on LinkedIn, I like to talk to them there as well. At the end of the day, your role has changed a little, but the whole reason why you're doing this work hasn't. So stay true to that as well.
1: That's phenomenal advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think, you know, anybody who's a young professional or just like anybody who's maybe changing careers or anything like that should really take that to heart. So another piece of advice that I wanted to ask you about is around community strategy. So I think that coming up with a community strategy can be pretty overwhelming, especially for those who are kind of new to the field or maybe haven't done it before. So when you're thinking through your own strategy for shaping your various communities, what are some things that you found helpful there? And like, where do you kind of even start?
0: Strategy is overwhelming, whether it's community strategy or any other strategy, it's it's overwhelming because it feels like a very big, heavy word. But I think when you're thinking about your online community it's best to go back to three questions why does this community exist who is it meant to serve and then how are we going to do it so answering those questions really kind of gives you the seat upon which your strategy sits because it tells you it gives you the purpose it tells you the people are that that you're going to serve. And then it's going to help guide that how. How are we going to serve the people for the reason that this community exists? And I think if you start there, it can really start to uncover some magical questions that can help you set your strategy and really help you clearly define what it is that you're trying to accomplish. If you're not sure about any of those questions, then go back and try to answer them first before you start to write your strategy, because otherwise you'll just get frustrated. But I'm hoping that if you have a community program, those questions have already been answered and then you can just use that as a catalyst to build your strategy.
1: Yeah, for sure, that's a really good point. <laughs> like ho- hopefully you're not just like starting from from ground zero and right. there, there's something there already. That's awesome advice, thank you so much. So I wanna jump into your personal community. I think it's really fascinating how people who are sort of like professional community builders actually navigate their personal community outside of work or the communities that they're building. So are there any uh, communities that you're part of and why are they meaningful to you?
0: Yeah, I do have a few communities. There's just such a it's so easy to get overwhelmed with everything that's out there. But there there are some interests that I have. I do belong to a couple of communities for female founders and I belong to those communities because I wanted to make sure that I was staying close to the things that were happening from a business standpoint, simply because of the way that I started community by association. And again, I just like understanding business and startups and what that world looks like. It really intrigues me and it really, and it helps me not only for community by association, but it helps me kind of navigate innovation and working a little bit differently within my organization as our, as we shift. So I belong to a couple of those types of communities. I belong to a couple of association communities just because that's the world I work in. But um, I also am really passionate about any of the, uh not any, but some of the LGBTQ communities. I am part of the LGBTQ world, you know, and I, so HRC is huge for me and I really love the work that they do. And also, the It Gets Better project, which really focuses on LGBTQ youth who um, might be having some trouble with navigating uh, the space and, and figuring out who they are and, and having to navigate the pressures of having to figure that out and dealing with being bullied and those types of things. So you know, that's, that's really important to me. And then of course, I stay close to anything theater related, because that's just where my heart is. So
1: <laughs> it sounds like you have such a diverse set of communities and, you know, places where you, f- you find your sense of belonging. And I absolutely love to hear that. That's awesome. So this is a little bit of a strange question, but just like love hearing people's answers to this. When it comes to the people that are closest to you, you know, like the five to six people that you really spend the most time with, how do you choose those people? Do you feel like you look for certain qualities or is it just something that happens a little bit more organically for you? It definitely doesn't necessarily happen organically because as an
0: introvert, I'm always like, where can I be where there's not that many people? Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, But I think I really like to be around people who laugh a lot. I just think you can't take life too seriously. And I I crack a joke whenever I get a chance and sometimes at inappropriate times. So if people don't mind that, then they're my people. But yeah, I like people who I I tend to gravitate toward people who don't really like they're not really impressed by the flashy things in life. They are they're really down to earth. Again, they like to laugh and they like to have conversations that, you know, are more than small talk talk. That's just not my thing. I like to have meaningful conversations and it can be intimidating to some people, especially when they they don't want to have those types of conversations. So those are generally the types of people that I gravitate toward and who can who can take my weird humor. I think that's <laughs> that's also important. <laughs>
1: that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. I love to be around people who make me laugh as well. You're so right. You can't take you can't take life too seriously. So my last question for you is and I ask this of everybody on the podcast. What does the word community mean to you? To
0: me, just means belonging. It really it, to me, it just means belonging. <laughs> belonging and being able to do so in your authentic way. You don't have to be anyone else in order to feel that. It means being able to find the space where you can just step in and be who you are and feel like you're home that that's that's community to me.
1: I love that. That is such a great definition. Marjorie, thank you so much again for joining me today on the podcast. I learned so much from you and I'm so excited for people to listen to this episode.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. It was a fun conversation. Thanks a lot.
1: I had such a great time chatting with Marjorie, and I hope you learned as much as I did from this episode. You can connect with Marjorie on LinkedIn at Marjorie Anderson, and you can learn more about her community at communitybyassociation.com. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com where house is spelled H-A-U-S or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.